1: You're tuned in to Grip It and Rip It, sponsored by LB's Meat Market. We're going to get started here in a second, but first, let's hear from LB's. Grip It and Rip It with Brian Scott Rippey is brought to you by LB's Meat Market. LB's, the
0: preeminent butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi, the place to go for any and all of your meat needs just right now they've got the lane train special a six ounce bacon wrapped filet for ten dollars they got fresh seafood grill packs and a lot of different types of sausages put simply if your grill is in need of meat the only place to go in oxford mississippi is lb's meat market give them a call today at
1: 662-259-2999 That's 662-259-2999. Stop by and see them at 2008 University Avenue. That's just across
0: the street from Kroger. It's LB's Meat Market, your butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi.
1: Alrighty, we now welcome on Brody Miller. Brody covers LSU for The Athletic. I think like three years in, I still don't have to explain to people what The Athletic is at this point. I think at 36 months, uh, I don't really have to say go subscribe or explain what it is at this point. I think think most people get the picture. At this point, we're going to chalk up uh, some Ole Miss LSU. This game is happening. Um, There was a lot of doubt about whether this would happen or better yet maybe why it's still happening but uh hey what's up man how's it going <laughs>
0: i'm good but i have a bone to pick i think you need to introduce me on the show as a former clarion ledger reporter i got to up my street cred with the listeners or maybe that hurts my street cred i don't know but either way i want them to know i am a mississippi man
1: so, so in my notes uh, that's right cuz speaking of like 36 months you've been covering LSU for at least two seasons now like and this you know you're you, you, about uh, to
0: finish year 3
1: yeah, I was about to say, I guess you are about three months removed from the old, uh, good old Clarion-Ledger general assignment of Porter. So every side of the Egg Bowl would probably be the best way to describe it. All, you got both sides of it. So no, <laughs> none, none too shocking. I actually wrote in my notes as we were going to get to LSU-Florida in a second, I, I was going to preface it as, as a former Clarion-Ledger employee where that ranked on the craziest <laughs> things you've seen. So I didn't totally, I was going to get the Clarion-Ledger clearing ledger moniker in there but i appreciate you joining us i hope everything's been as well as possible with you and i say that not only in just like a uh, this season's kind of been a shit show since but you know it it sounds like you've been busy down there on a number of different fronts
0: I mean we always like to joke around here that there's just I mean Mississippi's close to be clear but like the, just there's nowhere like LSU in the sense that just like every single week there's a scandal or a, some dramatic storyline I mean even in good seasons like I mean you got like 2018 you got like four I mean this is terrible but like four sexual assault things like, like uh you have Joe Burrow you have like I'm a, a player shooting a guy you know <laughs> I'm so, like there's just I can't get over like there's Will Wade scandal there's now a sexual assault scandal here there's just something going on you got players opting out like there's just always something going on at LSU and it's it's uh it's it's fun but it is exhausting so this season with a pandemic thrown into it has been just uh wild in a lot of ways but no complaining because it's been wild for literally everyone
1: yeah, the yeah, it's like I remember thinking about this way too often when Ole Miss was at the height of its NCAA investigation. When it just seemed like anytime you went out to on a Friday night or Friday afternoon to try to grab a beer, some sort of NOA or response or something dropped. It like I was like, can I go cover Kansas State or something? Like, it doesn't <laughs> seem like anything ever happens in the little apple, but I uh, I, I definitely feel you on that one. It's it's always a constant circus. I guess we'll just start with, with the most recent chapter of said circus, and I'll just go ahead. I mean, I already prefaced the question. of As ranking a former Clarion-Ledger employee, where is last Saturday's result rank on the craziest things you've seen?
0: God, I mean, okay, let's keep in mind that the only Egg Bowl I covered was 2017, which also was the one where Nick Fitzgerald snaps his leg— and i believe that was the inaugural p game like that was the original p game that then got clouded over by another p game but this was was a dk metcalf who was
1: it yeah it was metcalf it was the p game before p games were cool
0: yeah exactly and i remember chuck just like screaming and being like you idiot and like had to get talked down in the press box but anyway uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) sorry i probably shouldn't have said that but uh yeah, no. Uh, so, yeah, that is a, a solid standard. And to be honest, I mean, even just my three years covering LSU, I mean, I've had some bonkers once. I've had, like, the Auburn game in 2018 with Cole Tracy's last second kick. I had the uh, – I guess nothing this crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, no, this game is probably the most absurd. For, first off, even before you get to, like, a shoe getting thrown in a blinding fog and an interception off a helmet – You just start on the baseline fact that a terrible 3-5 and LSU team, and I'm not afraid to say terrible, team that was already bad, then just lost its best receiver and then its other best receiver in the span of two weeks. Its best cornerback arguably in the country goes out minutes before the game. Its only reliable linebacker for most of this season goes out shortly before the game. They're down to 54 players and have... I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say none of their stars, like none of their major players were in this football game. And then on that day of all days on the road at Florida against a team that seems designed to put up 70 points on them, you show up like that. Even even if you just thought of it from that perspective, this was one of the wildest games I've ever covered. And then, yeah, you throw in. A blinding fog, an interception off a helmet, uh, a true freshman looking as good as Max Johnson did at times, and then a shoe throw deciding the game or really propelling the game into what it became – yeah, no, that is. Uh, I think it is safe to say that's the craziest thing I've covered. From a, then again, man, I don't know. We've had some LSU baseball. Let's be real. There was the the fog game that got delayed twenty four hours. There was the the Mississippi State game that went what eighteen innings. So I think I think Mississippi State w- baseball will be the mo- the wildest game I've covered. But this is number two.
1: Yeah, like honorable mention I throw in is that game two years ago down in Baton Rouge where, you know, the Ole Miss side of things, particularly covering it, there's always made a big deal of Mike Bianco hadn't won, da- or Ole Miss hadn't won down there since 83 or whatever it was. Oh, my that, God, I that forgot six about six-run that. six-run ninth yeah. inning or whatever where they just went homer after homer. Oh, so, my
0: God. Was that four straight homers or three straight? I, I forgot all about four-
1: that with two outs it was the craziest baseball game i've ever covered i think i was what i tweeted when i finally got done with the story in baton rouge that night it wasn't anything related to the game i was like please read this because i don't think i've ever seen anything like this but (laughs) yeah so this one's definitely on on the on the mount rushmore if it's a weird game and to say put it mildly because lsu was what out gained by 200 ish yards to your point max johnson looked pretty good at times like if you had to describe it in a sentence or two just from a strictly on field shoe throwing aside like how did they win this game
0: yeah and this is gonna sound like one of those things where i'm like pro lsu or something but it's a weird game because, yes, in every, like, tangible, subjective way, LSU just got completely outplayed, and this game was, like, fraudulent. Like, uh, I'm a huge Bill Connolly, you know, advanced stats guy, and like, his postgame win expectancies, which I love, had gave LSU a 0.6% chance of winning this game based on, like, everything that happened. But it's wow. one of those ones where I don't buy that, and I normally very much buy those. But it's weird because, okay— yardage for example like it was 609 to 418 i'm looking at now but it's like that using that yardage to discredit lsu doesn't quite work because lsu one of their scores was a pick six on a after a 40 yard drive so like they gained seven points while losing 40 yards and then giving the ball back to them so yardage, you know what i mean like the yardage is going to look bad there or there's the time that florida drove down the goal line and they stuffed them like That is both indicative that Florida was better, but also, like, you do have to give LSU credit for those, right? Like, you have to give them credit that, like, I think four different times Florida drove down into their territory and they stopped them. So, like, there's something to that. But to answer your question, yeah, how did they pull this off? I think, one, you saw an effort that I just, like, I mean, this sounds overly simplistic, but I had not seen from them all season. Like, you just haven't, like... They have kind of seemed like a team that's been lost all year. They seem like a team that kind of gives up at times. They just they don't they don't seem to have it together. And then on this week, when they lose so many guys, as I mentioned before, Eric Gilbert, Terrace Marshall, Derek Stingley, Micah Baskerville, so on. You just saw guys really care. Guys who like Jay Ward and and uh Dwight McGluthern, you know, or, you know, just like the seventh string receiver. Guys who weren't big recruits, weren't like they just showed up, played their behind off, and like and just look like a different team just by going off that metric. So I I think that's a big part of it. And then, yeah, I give credit where it's due to the part that Max Johnson, in his first career start, I mean, he looked really just poised. Not, I don't think he's going to be some Heisman winner. I don't think he's going to be like some, some savior quarterback. But he is a really poised, mature dude. Obviously, he's the son of Brad Johnson and like knows what he's doing in there. And then I think you're seeing Steve Ensminger. Hot take, I actually thought LSU's offense played well against Bama. and Like, the numbers won't recognize it. But for, like, five drives in that game, early in the game, they were flowing on Bama, and they just kind of couldn't finish. But anyway, I'm I'm going on a weird tangent here, sorry. But I think Max Johnson in the game playing offensively just looked sharper than ever. And the defense didn't look, like, inherently good, but they just stepped up and made stops in the red zone. So that's how they did it, aside from uh, a shoe getting thrown. Sorry, that was all over the place.
1: No, but it's a great point because you talk about S&P and advanced metrics and all that, and then this weird COVID year where you've got teams sometimes going two and three weeks and really in more extreme cases outside the SEC, sometimes longer than that without playing a game. You talk about that 0.6% chance. Effort is hard to quantify and effort and buy-in in in particular. It's like the bowl game where, you know, the team, you know, you always talk about what team wants to be there and all that. It's like that on steroids. And if there was ever a time for LSU to really just take the field in the literal sense only, you figured it was going to be that game. So that's, that's a great way to encapsulate it. And last question I'll have about this game before we kind of get into some big picture stuff from the, like from your vantage point, what happens from the shoe throw to the field goal because like i have so many questions but i'll just let you take this in any direction you want to because i've never <laughs> seen a shoe throw like that and on top of that could you even see the field goal because it was hard to see on television
0: so okay i this is yeah full disclosure i actually was not at the game i've kind of stopped going to some of the road games for obvious reasons one cases are spiking and i'm just kind of like hey do i really want to hop on a plane and two lsu's so bad it's like am i gonna hop on a plane and spend 700 on this overall trip for a team that you know, it doesn't matter, but to anyway, talk to on zoom. yeah, exactly. You're flying. You're spending all that money to go talk to them on zoom and get zero access. So as much as I like, like to believe I'm like a hardworking reporter, it's just kind of a waste of money and time. So yeah, I've watched at home. So yeah, but no, from what I understand, nobody in that press box could see anything in that fourth quarter. They couldn't see if the field goal went through. They didn't even really see the shoe toss. They had to see that like on the screen after. So yeah, that is a, a fascinating wrinkle, but Yeah, no, I mean, from what I understand, Cade York, you know, the kicker who made that field goal, for example, like, he had walked up the sideline a few times earlier in the game to, like, get a sense of he'd be able to, like, get a good view if he kicked. And he was like, I couldn't. And he basically, keep in mind, he's kicking from the Florida logo. He told us that, yeah, he literally couldn't see. Kind, I mean, granted, like, he pointed out, like, when you're kicking a field goal, you know, you're really not aiming at a point. You're aiming at a line. You know, you're basically just, like, trying to kick your line more than you are, like, going for this specific spot so he was able to do that but he's like i couldn't see the ball go through really i kind i saw people below me motioning that was good so i knew but he couldn't really see which is amazing like i credit where it's due here also that's my catchphrase today but is that this is the longest kick in lsu history and it came on a kick where the guy couldn't even see where he was kicking like that is just mind-boggling and then yeah the shoe i mean Shout out to Dan Mullen, our guy, being like, "That was a football move." That's the funniest thing I've heard all week. But I guess you got yeah, to say take of the
1: year, man. Like, how, I love it. I, how I even justify that. Like, I mean that. I seriously, I when I first read that, you know, you catch things on Twitter, and it's hard to, it's impossible to get context and all exactly. that. But I was like, <laughs> this has to be sarcasm, right? And then you actually started reading, you know, the stories that went along with that quote. And it's like, no, he was serious. And you know, that's probably a pod for another day, but. Dan Mullen remaining on brand in that sense, I, but I love
0: Dan Mullen. I'm sorry, I gotta throw that out there. Somebody like you said is we've covered both cover Mississippi sports. I know a lot of people hate Dan Mullen. I'm sure listeners of this podcast hate Dan Mullen, but I love Dan Mullen in a very like. One, I think the SEC just needs villains. They do. And Dan Mullen is the perfect kind of villain because he's not actually, like, that we know of yet. I mean, granted, there could be things that we find out, but that we know of, he's not the kind of villain that's, like, actually harmful. You know, like, he's not really that we know of done anything, like, horrific, you know, like some people we know of in college football. But he is just a pain in the butt, a sarcastic ass, and just, like, and is just, like, good at what he does, and I live for it. I need that. I want the Florida coach to be a villain, and he... It just some of the stuff he says is just so eye roll worthy, but you know it's like, I don't know. I live for it anyway. I'm sorry.
1: No, could not agree more. Because like you said, it's nothing malicious. It's just he's an ass at base level, and he owns it's it to the tenth degree. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't try at base level. Dan and down court, ball down to is like core components he's just kind of an ass and we yeah. all know someone like that and there are things yeah <laughs> you respect someone for not shying away from it too and he doesn't shy away from it at all if anything with with the more success he's had he just kind of leaned into it i and think you he's leaning to...
0: into it now yeah oh well, 100 percent. he wore a vader costume on halloween i think that tells us the question yeah
1: yeah, I mean it's 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 great. that's why I need Hugh Freeze at Tennessee or something so they can be in the same division again and act like children and then see someone else on you know other beats get sick of uh, covering the back and forth. but i I need a little bit of that in my life. But again, that's conversation for another day. The <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm taking this on all kinds of tangents tonight. Oh buddy, this podcast the this the, I could have the tangent I could have tangent in the name of this podcast. We really just kind of go wherever on this thing. The, <laughs> so LSU big picture, they're sitting at three and five. They have this weird win that doesn't really make sense in the collection of, you know, whatever the rest of this season is Saturday aside for a second, whatever the result may be, I'm fascinated to kind of, you know, the whole talking point, And I think it's kind of a lazy narrative of like, Ed is Gene Chizik when their situations really, really? aren't that similar at all. Like if you actually look into what happened to Chizik at the end, but I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Where does Ed go after this? Because, you know, he walked off the field at the Superdome 11 months ago, almost 12 at this point, at the highest that really someone could get in their career. And it was really a remarkable comeback story. And it kind of un- at least feels like in an outside sense, from an outside perspective, I should say, has unraveled a bit. Where does he go in the next 12 months?
0: yeah you know it's the million dollar question because like you said he had all the capital in the world he could ever ask for and it, it was almost this thing of like i mean t bob my co-host and i you know we had we talked about it all the time of like by the way i give on all the it's like like you said the gene Chiswick thing right And everyone loves making that joke but gene Chiswick, like i don't think anyone's gonna actually sit here and argue gene chizik like earn that national title like no one is it was he got cam newton he had a Gus on and Nick Fairley. And it was just like a weird year where Cam Newton dragged them to a title. But like none of us are sitting here being like Gene Chizik, like put the pieces together and earn that. Right. Like, and Ed on no, he did it. Like he, that was him. Like he made the hires. He picked Joe Brady out of like a, a nothing job he recruited the hell out of that team he got joe burrow he took this offense that had been the stone age and finally modernized it. like he gets he built that culture you know like he gets the credit and then all of the things that he did so well suddenly like he just is blowing it out in 2020 and that's what's so weird about all of this and it was almost like before that year he he did things of course but at the same time There was always a leash on him, right? Until he won that title, like there was still always a leash on him. There was, yeah, but like, you know, your buyout's not that big. It was, yeah, but we're gonna help you make these hires. You know, like it was there was still a lot of pieces at play telling him what to do. And I think this year he finally had all the capital in the world he'd want. He could do whatever he'd want. And he hires Bo Pliny, which bombs, Scott Linehan, which isn't doing too great. He basically kills his locker room chemistry with some things over the summer. Seems like I'm not going to go as far as saying he's falling back into his old Miss ways, but he's doing some things similar to his old Miss ways that are rubbing some people the wrong way. And it's like, wow, it, 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 it's not Gene Chiswick, Cause Gene Chiswick was probably just always a house of cards, right? This was like, you built something real and then you might've just ruined it in months. So that's mind boggling. But long after that tangent, I say like, it's possible to turn things around. It really is. Okay. First off, you're LSU. And Saturday against Florida is proof of it. You are always going to have the talent. You know, you just are. Like and and he had a top five class in 2019, a number four class in 2020, and now there's a good chance this class in 2021 finishes like third or fourth or whatever. So it's going to be three straight top five classes. So if you look at look at it from that perspective, your infrastructure going forward should be really good, right? Like you obviously rankings can be misguided. Some guys can be bust, of course, but you, you should have the talent to be really good going forward. Now you lost a lot of guys. We know that a lot of departures and that kind of killed some of their numbers and they need to regain that. And they need to probably hit some grad transfers and Juco guys. But, and the main thing is you've got to make some coaching changes. I think we can all agree on that. Maybe a new defensive coordinator, maybe a new offensive coordinator, maybe even some position coaches just got to get a little younger and whatnot. Those are things. Absolutely. Like it's not just talent. He needs to make some real changes. He needs to win back that locker room. And and probably most importantly, honestly, everything I'm saying, the most important thing, he needs to re-recruit his own guys because we know Eric Gilbert, who's the biggest recruit. I mean, honestly, I can think of LSU getting. They, they lose Eric I mean, Eric Gilbert opts out, but we all know he's thinking about leaving, and that could go to Georgia or Bama or wherever. So you have to re-recruit Eric Gilbert and save him. You got. I've heard rumors of, like, there could be, if things go bad, eight to 12 more freshmen and sophomores, like good ones who could leave. Like, it could be really bad. So as much as I'm talking about these recruiting classes – they could actually lose a lot of their core infrastructure of this team. So you have to re-recruit those guys. But if you can keep most of those guys, you have this freshman class looks fantastic right now. They really do. B.J. Ojolari, Gilbert, Kayshawn Booty, you know, uh, Max Johnson, T.J. Finley. Like, this class looks fantastic. So you, you really need to keep those guys in place. And if you can, and you keep this class in place in 2021, and you can reshuffle some things, there's no real reason LSU shouldn't be back to being – at the least a 9 and 3 you know top 15 team. There it's there. It is there. But man, that's a lot of things I listed. You know what I'm saying? Like as much as I say it's there, it's a lot of things I listed used to fix. Re-recruiting those guys, getting the staff in place, like all that. So it's all there and the the, the the my final answer to your question is he did lose that capital. We'd be lying if he said he doesn't. They're not going to fire him anytime soon or anything like that because he's a huge contract. He just won a national championship. You know, it's pretty hard to fire him without cause. But the capital's gone. The I can do what I want, I just won a championship, he's lost that. So he's got a long way to go, but it's it's possible.
1: Yeah, I've never thought about it in the way you phrased that, <laughs> particularly at the beginning of your answer. It's where Ed, I mean, think about it. The wor- I guess the worst like versions of him have, be- have, I guess, come when, you know, call it capital, but kind of we're going to do this exactly my way type of yeah. thing. It did not work at Ole Miss. Obviously, it has not worked this season, whereas you look at the best of Ed, it's interim guy at LSU. Of course, you're going to be on a leash. You're the interim guy. Like, you you don't have all the full 100% autonomy. He was awesome. Interim, interim guy in place of Les Miles. Awesome. And then, you know, he gets the job and, you know, whatever argument you want to make about whether he deserved it or not, he has the leash kind of because he wasn't really a proven hire. And then he wins the, yeah. you know, the greatest pinnacle. I mean, he reaches the greatest pinnacle in the sport. And it kind of reverts back to maybe some of his old ways, like you described it. Do you think it just kind of comes down to him having the self-awareness to dial it back in and maybe, I guess, I don't know how to describe this because I don't know who I'm talking about, but... (laughs) open it back up, and I guess like, oh, welcome other input would be a, yeah. a, a diplomatic way to put it.
0: No, I think you nailed every single part of that, and you said it perfectly, even way more succinctly than I could. Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's not that he like shouldn't ever have power or freedom, but it's the frame of mind, right? And it's that, it's the idea that Ed Ogeron, I wrote this a million times last year and wrote like these long features about it that Ed Ogeron's greatest skill and why he's like the only coach I've ever seen literally change because that does not happen, is that he can listen. He he knows he's not the smartest guy in the room. He learned from his old Miss ways. And by the way, knowing you're not the smartest guy in the room makes you smart, in my opinion. And and being True. able to be like, yeah, and like being able to be like, all right, I need your advice on this, and I want to hear this trainer's thought on this, and I need to. You know, it's that is how they won a national championship was always listening and hearing other people's input. And and that skill shouldn't go away. So, yes, he should be able to get back to that and might have to get back to that, like you said, and have to really listen to some people and get things in order. I think he totally can. There's it's LSU. People are going to want to work at LSU. So if you can, you can hire some good people and get back on track. I really think you can. And it's worth throwing out there. And I'm I haven't written this and it's. It's probably something I'm always saying it because I'm on my second glass of wine while we record this, but, uh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, what's up? Uh, is that, like, you know what? He had some stuff in his personal life this offseason. You have, you have a guy who reached his literal life's goal, right? You know, he came back from everything that happened to Ole Miss and reached his life's goal. And then you have some personal stuff happen in his life. You get divorced. Then a pandemic hits. Then you have societal issues, you know, like, and just so many things going on that, like, Listen, he's probably not himself this year. You know, I'm not saying that to defend him or to criticize him. It's neither. It's, it's just like, hey, you know, like that is a really brutal year in a weird way that like you reach like your ego is probably the highest it's ever been. And your life's kind of messy. You know, I'm not going to call it a mess, but it's messy. Yeah, it's probably a lot to ask. And I think that's kind of how you get here. And I'm not speaking for him, so I probably shouldn't have even said that. But there's some truth to it. And I think he totally can get things back on track because he still does have those skills.
1: Sure. And that's the thing we forget with these. I mean, this all becomes God, you know, athletes and pieces and pawns in this grander soap opera. And you forget these people are humans and have lives outside of their occupation, which I think is a great point that, you know, often gets lost and kind of along those lines, just from my personal vantage, like from my personal vantage point, you talk about the Bo Pelini hire and you know, this summer was weird for a lot of people and like kind of staying pl- I mean, you didn't have sports for four months so trying to stay plugged in with everything was kind of weird and difficult to do and I think the Bo Pelini hire, I know that happened like pre-pandemic but still it just kind of happened and then you know, the college football cycle, news cycle doesn't really start heating up until spring and summer again and you start getting all the what can Bo Pelini do stories, but from my personal vantage point, I make this move to Dallas and I look up and state's beating LSU so bad, and I look on the sidelines, and I'm sitting there saying, "Is that Bo Pelini? What what happened? What what is? What <laughs> was what, Yeah, like like how did he end up at LSU? I mean that that's not my real question. Why did the defending national champion hire Bo Pelini? What went into that? Uh,
0: so I think <laughs> that sigh was visceral. Um, I think one, I think he just always had a lot of respect for for Bo Pelini, and. I think he, you know, I think he listens to Pete Carroll a lot, and I think Pete Carroll has worked with Bo Pelini a lot, and really thought highly of Bo Pelini. And by the way, Bo Pelini, for most of his career, no one is arguing he was one of the better defensive minds in football. Like, that is a thing. So, like, but Pete Carroll's opinion probably wasn't wrong, but like, it's been a long time since then, you know. So, like, I think it was he listened to Pete Carroll. He always had respect for him, and he, in his mind, I bet I'm. Um, guessing here, and I'm speculating big time, but in his mind, it was like, hey, this guy was one of the best coordinators in college football, and by the way, even in Nebraska, he did a good job. Like We'd be lying if he said he wasn't a good head coach at Nebraska, he just didn't quite get over the top.
1: Look and at him you're like,
0: Yeah, exactly. So, you look at that, and you could totally convince yourself that, like, hey, this guy, and then he went home to Youngstown State, which is more of a going home thing, and taking your big buyout pay, and, you know, just collecting your checks, and, you know, like, maybe that's just what he's doing, and that, like, But he's still the elite coordinator. Like, you could talk yourself into that. Hey, I kind of did it back in February. I didn't believe it, but I spun it like, hey, here's what he could do. This is what he once did. You know, you totally can talk yourself into that. And I think that's what happened. And then at the end of the day, though, because the big caveat we always threw out there was, but he hasn't coached, like, FCS, FBS football in eight years. He hasn't coached against really, if we're being honest, like the best offenses in more, 15 years. And I think, you know, to some extent, let's be honest, how much has offense changed in the last eight years? Oh, a lot. So I think uh, I think just the game, quite frankly, kind of passed him by. And then you mix that with, and this part I will give a little, you know, better for the doubt. You mix him maybe being past his prime with, you're in a pandemic with a new scheme and listen, it's hard to communicate all these new things when you're not getting normal practice time and normal interaction with your guys. So you combine those two things and yeah, it's going to be a mess and it has had has been a huge mess.
1: What do they do at quarterback going forward? Yeah. The Brennan thing was interesting. You wrote a really good story going into the year about Brennan filling these incredibly huge shoes, obviously from Joe Burrow, but kind of a guy that's waited his turn as well. He gets hurt. it, it from, you know, reading what you guys wrote throughout the season, it was kind of like, okay, he might be out a week or two. Okay, maybe it's a little worse (laughs) too. He's not coming back this season, which happens with injuries all the time. Whether the programs, particularly in college sports, whether they just don't want to tell you or they really just don't know, it just kind of happens that way sometimes. What does that do to the future of the position? Because you talk about Finley and you talk about Johnson and as part of this young freshman class that's, pretty promising if they can turn some other things around what does that look like in 2021 and beyond at quarterback so i
0: the the caveat is always that in 2020 and with everything going on this year you just never know who's going to want to stay in like at lsu you just i mean i'm not predicting anything i'm not even insinuating anything but like that has to be thrown out there yeah i mean the miles brennan thing you nailed that first off i mean his own dad told me that he thought he could have played the south carolina game that next week and then it's turned from he thinks he can play to he's out for the year and they still don't know what's going on by the way like they still are figuring out what is going on because it was so weird and it was like partially in his hip but mainly his abdomen and like can they do surgery on it? So that's bizarre and it's just like worth throwing out that out there for your listeners that it's just a weird situation but if anything this year puts lsu again if you handle it right which is the biggest if on earth if you handle it right LSU finally should be in, like, the best quarterback room situation it's been in, in God, it's not even an exaggeration to say ever. It actually, like, because LSU's been terrible at quarterback, we know, for a long time, aside from Joe Burrow. So, yeah, it's it really is because, okay, Miles Brennan should be back. And Miles Brennan threw for nearly 400 yards a game, and he wasn't Joe Burrow, but he was really, really good for three games. By the way, his third game was with a torn abdomen, and he still threw for 400 yards on Missouri. So... Brendan should be back with a pretty good receiving core, and you like that. And then you have Max Johnson and TJ Finley now who I don't think either are ever going to be like Heisman winners. But both those guys look like, as true freshmen, have won them games, may I add, and, you know, just look like they've got tools to develop. Like, they look like guys that by year three should be SEC starters for any school in the conference, really. So – now you have those guys who have game experience and actually have been battle-tested, so that's big. So now you have two legitimate backup quarterbacks so you feel confident to put in a football game, and then you finally have the biggest, you know, one of the bigger quarterback recruits LSU's ever landed, and Garrett Nussmeier, top 100 guy out of Texas who, I mean, everything I've heard from people I trust is like, he's just really good, and yeah, he's not going to play as a true freshman, but all of a sudden you're like, and granted, one of these guys is probably going to transfer, that's how that works, but... You are four deep there of guys that you actually like at quarterback, which, as you know, is just rare. And Brennan should be back and healthy and looking really good. And now you have three actual backups. And then you have these guys can develop. By the time they're sophomores, juniors, seniors, those guys should be ready to be real starters. Then in 2022, they have an even better higher-rated quarterback in Walker Howard. And it's like, if they don't blow it, and again, huge if, <laughs> they should have actually like, a quarterback system going here if they can handle it right.
1: It's a good point, and you can't ever have too many. I mean, from an Ole Miss perspective, people forget this because, you know, 18 Jordan Tamu made it through pretty much the entire season but gets hurt at right in the first half of the Egg Bowl. But in a technical sense, Ole Miss has not had a quarterback. Uh, Corral do it if he makes it through Saturday unscathed and uninjured. Ole Miss had not had a quarterback go through an entire season and take pretty much every snap. You know, not leaving for injury, basically, since Chad Kelly in 2015. So, like, (laughs) from an Ole Miss side, like, you you need quarterback depth. I mean, people listening to this podcast know that as well as anyone. So, that's fascinating, and I will kind of wonder how that plays out long term. Just before, I got a couple more questions, but gut feeling 2021 starting quarterback on opening day, opening game, who is it?
0: No, I mean, gut feeling is absolutely Miles Brennan. Yeah, Miles Brennan should be the starting quarterback. And, obviously, health comes into play. We don't know what's going to happen there. We don't know what's going to happen if, like, again, not saying I've heard this or predicting this, but who knows if he wants to leave. But, um, yeah, Miles Brennan should absolutely be the starter in 2021.
1: Does this game Saturday matter? And I know that's like a loaded question and it, it's so <laughs> broad at the same time, but from an LSU perspective, does it? Because, you know, if it's anything like Old Miss, you still have this very, particularly the older faction of the fan base that really, 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 really really emphasizes this game and it kind of makes for a weird deal with the egg bowl that aside like i mean the pandemic years probably put a damper on a ton of it but does this game matter for ed i mean it gets you to five and five versus four and six or whatever like i can't imagine that matters a ton but like if this game matters how
0: yeah i think the way i'd frame it is it's a great question the way i'd frame it is it i don't think it matters if he loses right and kind of bouncing off everything you said like we've all seen way worse losses than this right we've seen them lose to mississippi state and missouri which actually missouri's turned out to be pretty decent this year but you know what i mean and like they're like this would not be a bad one like this this loss makes sense especially after all the departures they were like when did all those departures happen the last few weeks It was an assumed given they were going to lose every game the rest of the year. So the Florida game like might have unfairly reset our expectations. But at the end of the day, they did get worse. Like, I know they played better, but they got worse. Let's not be naive here. They lost all of their best players. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to hurt him if they lose. There's no difference to me in four and six and five and five. And it just won't matter. But if he wins, it does help him. So, you know, what I mean, like it doesn't hurt if he loses. But, yeah, it's going to help him a lot if he wins, because then you have something to really point to. One, you can point to those freshmen sophomores I'm talking about, about who are thinking about leaving. You could point to them and be like, hey, look what we accomplished these last two games when it was only freshmen and sophomores after everyone else left. Look what you accomplished. You should stay here. We're going to build on this. So, yes, that's huge. Big for boosters and all that. And, and everyone we obviously know are involved to be like, hey. Look how bad it got. Look what I did. So, yes, winning two straight would look really good going into the offseason. It will help him you know, with landing in whatever recruits he wants in February. I think all those things are going to be quite important. So I think winning would be great and a huge boost. But I don't think losing would make anything that happened this season worse. I just don't because we all know how depleted they are. And Ole Miss ain't bad. Ole Miss is a good football team. So, yeah, I don't think it would hurt.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like if LSU were to lose the game, it just kind of gets swept in, you know, under the collective rug of just kind of what this weird disaster season was, where you win, you get the benefit of the doubt and kind of get to build on the positive momentum of winning two games in a row because this is such a fickle and week-to-week industry at times. You had an interesting answer earlier when I was asking about kind of Ed Jean Chizik, that whole kind of lazy comparison. You mentioned it would be tough to fire him unless it was for cause. They've had so much stuff off the field, whether it's NCAA related or to the USA Today article regarding sexual assault. And I mean, if Ole Miss people for sure know anything, it's it's always hard to like pin culpability on the head man of the program because it is like the most important position in the state in a lot of ways. And like, <laughs> you know, is. you had Hugh Freeze, you thought, I mean, for hell, half a decade, you thought Hugh Freeze was a dead man walking. And at the end of the day, it was him calling an escort service that did it. in where <laughs> strictly NCAA stuff. He probably serves like a four or five game suspension. I know it ended up being two or whatever, you know, whatever NCAA's dumb punishment was. And he likely would have survived. Yeah. So I guess just broad question, like, do you think he survives kind of the collective black cloud that is hanging over everything off the field? Because they did self-impose a bull ban technically for this year like do you think he makes it through the other side of all that i know that's almost impossible to answer but best guess no it
0: no it's a it's a crucial question um you know you mentioned the bowl band for example and like that investigation of the football program that is actually it's kind of a weird thing that's been like left out in this whole thing is that that was all less miles era like those sank those well i guess the odell beckham canning our cash thing was not but like i don't <laughs> think cash. anyone is actually yeah, I was gonna say yeah, right. I don't think anyone's actually sitting here trying to be like LSU's cheating because Odell was handing out cash. Well, I think we're all smarter than that. So yeah, that was all less mild stuff. So I don't think anyone's blaming Ed for that. And then this season, well, one, you just can't fire you can't fire him for thirty million dollars. You know, after he a year after winning a national championship, after a pandemic season. So like nothing results based right now. Is he gonna get fired for? No, he's not. And. Not even Nothing even sanctions basically to get fired for, like I said. But you do have... And by the way, I don't think they can fire... They, w- they will not fire him without cause. I feel decently confident about that, that they will not fire him without cause for the next, like, year. Because, yeah, he... Like you said, he just won a championship. None of these things... All these things are pretty explicable about everything happening right now. Like, everyone's going through nonsense. Look at Penn State. Like, things like that. And... You have a massive buyout, so I I don't think you can. And by the way, he has good recruiting classes, all that. But when you throw in the the guys trying to leave right now, and the the possible exit of like your star-studded class, and like how LSU might suddenly be in a bizarre hole, and like any coach losing the lo- locker room is a real problem. And I'm, and he's kind of lost the locker room, or at least did, and maybe he's working on it. We'll see, but. So those things are probably giving Scott Woodward, the AD, more reason to be like, well, I don't know if he's the guy. But again, I don't think they're firing without cause, which leads me to the sexual assault investigation. And Hush Blackwell, the firm, is investigating it right now, and they're handing, they're cooperating, and I think they're going to find a lot of stuff out probably. If Ed Ogeron wh- – okay, I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase this. With everything we just listed going on and the black clouds you mentioned and all the stuff about players leaving, it might set them up for if they find anything in there that connects Ed Ogeron to it, and so far he's not really connected to anything, if they find anything, yeah, they might be a little more ready to cut bait. You know what I mean? Like, because of everything, they might be ready to use cause the first second they can. But at the same time, I say that, no, I don't think Ed Ogeron is in any, like, real tangible, you know, hot seat right now. He's not, because, you know he he does have these recruiting classes coming in. He did just win a championship.
1: Sure. I mean, I think you put that perfectly, right? Like it's, I mean, right, wrong or indifferent, whatever you feel about it morally out there, I would argue if you're, if you're kind of looking for moral high ground in college athletics, you're in the wrong business. But to like, to your point, they're not going to, I guess, bend like, I say bend over <laughs> backwards to protect him.
0: I know what you mean. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, could they be a little opportunistic with all of that if things continue to go south on the field? Sure, I mean, they, you know, use it as an excuse is a law is a kind of a, I guess, harsh way to put it. But I know exactly what you're getting at. Like, it, results on the field will kind of, it'll dictate how trigger they happy happy they are in that sense. I guess I'll leave it at that. Is that fair? No, I think.
0: Nailed it. I think you – listen, if we have one theme in this podcast, it's me ranting and talking in long tangents and not being able to get my thoughts into a sentence and you saying it way better than I can in one sentence. So good work.
1: I would argue it's the other way around because you're giving me all these other ideas and other questions. I have lied to you. I told you before we started recording that we'd go 15 to 20 minutes and we went 40. So I owe you a couple of beers uh, Well.
0: As I said, I, and I said second glass, it's my third glass of wine. So, um, I didn't even notice we've gone that long.
1: Well, I, am glad that, uh, I'm glad that blinded you from it. I am on my third aged, uh, Coors Light. I think they're French. Um,
0: (laughs) yeah, so... (laughs) so i appreciate it man those are hard to find these days good get
1: yeah dude exactly this came from uh the back of the wine cellar in my apartment so this is uh this has been a rarity but last question i'll i'll end it on this note you've had a interesting 18 19 ish months have you Mm -hmm. obviously you had an off season but we did have this whole global pandemic thing going on just from a professional personal whatever wherever you want to go with this have you had a time to like sit down and just digest the last 15 months because people forget that like the whole 2019 lsu story was not a given by any stretch i don't even remember what they were ranked but it was like is ed gonna survive this year is this whole you know revolutionizing the offense that we've heard you know 10 times for the last half decade whatever actually gonna come to fruition have you like sat back and be able to process this all
0: Yeah, I mean, you put that, because I was going to say, it's really a, what, 28-month story, because we're at, because in August 2018, like you were saying, like, it really didn't look like it was going to survive, and then now it's like, well, now, then he was coach of the year, and now he's where he is now, there's nothing like it, but no, I really haven't, and, you know, like you said, the pandemic really threw everything off, because 2019, I'm not afraid to admit it to you guys, and if you're still listening 40 minutes in, then yeah, you're part of this. Yeah, I mean, no, I was exhausted after 2019, that was in... A draining year and a fun year to cover and i wouldn't trade it for anything in the world that's the kind of thing you know as a reporter you just dream for but god it was exhausting and then like and then i had you know a few weeks to relax and then all of a sudden a pandemic hits and like i think we all i think everyone in america with the pandemic is like in this weird zone of like you're relaxing more because there's nothing to do but you're also more anxious than ever because you're not doing anything and you're like, is this bad? Am I terrible? So yeah, it was like my entire off season actually wasn't an off season because I was just anxious about the pandemic and like everything happening, which is probably too inside baseball. But um, yeah, no, so I really haven't, like I haven't in any way. The season snuck up on me. I didn't even think the season was going to happen. Like I really didn't. I was already making plans for like doing golf coverage for the Athletic this fall, and then the football season ended up happening. It was like, oh, that's a surprise. So, yeah, I haven't at all, and then this season's been nonsense. So I actually am looking forward to, now that you asked that question, like, you know, come January when just things slow down a little, like maybe even working on a story of just like what these past 24, 28 months have been like because there's – I can't think of anything in football history quite like it in terms of a surprising rise, but it was completely genuine and then a shocking fall.
1: Best way. That was a great way to put it, and a great way to end this thing, dude. I I appreciate the time. I hope you do get that uh, article out on the last twenty eight months because it is a uh, it is quite the wild wild ride. But dude, I really appreciate the time. This was awesome. I uh, hope to see you around soon. We'll grab some beers at uh, Gabriel's or some other six inside oh, establishment.
0: I know. In all seriousness, man, I miss you. I miss a lot of these people. So yeah, I miss getting drunk at a stupid bar with you. So yeah, hopefully we really <laughs> can do that soon
1: appreciate the talk. be safe saturday dude i hope to see you around soon
0: absolutely man take care
1: catch those springtime vibes all over arizona break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks take a hike
0: among the wildflowers just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the
1: bees discover arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your
0: springtime adventure. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today